Welcome to DBPA, the Drunk Bitches Podcast. I'm Jamie. And I'm Sarah. Each episode, we pair a wine with a topic where you get more lip with each sip. So let's get started. But first, pass the wine, bitch. Hey, DBP, what up? We are here with you for a very special episode (laughs) about perseverance. And specifically perseverance about a particular winemaker from the Lebanese region. Yes. As in Lebanon? As in Lebanon. <laughs> As in Lebanon. I think there's only one country in the Lebanese region. Mm, that's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to think about other the way that other regions are referred to, but yeah, you're right. You're right. Middle East. Middle East. This would be part of the Middle region. East. There we go. Right. Okay. There we go. There we go. There we go. 40 seconds in. This is a particular wine that, Sarah, you've had for a while. Yeah. Uh, no, I actually just got this. I I did I did drink it a long time ago, but I, to be honest, I remember it being good, but I don't remember much more. This was like years ago. <laughs> Before you started logging your notes and like all that stuff. Uh, no, smoking hookah and <laughs> eating really good food at yeah. a, um, you know, Middle Eastern <gasps> restaurant. You did not have a Sacasabees? Uh, yeah. Did you have really? Casablanca? Yep, I had I had it there, and I remember being like a Lebanese wine. Wait, what? And yeah. then being like, oh, it's actually pretty good. But this was years ago, so that's so interesting. I wasn't I wasn't taking tasting notes. That's so interesting. Can I open it? Yes. All I was right. just gonna say. So Sarah is gonna be opening up this 2014 uh, Moussa Uh It's a red blend. Yes. And it is since so fifty percent, fifty percent, and then it is Syrah, thirty percent. 20%, the remaining 20% is the Cabernet Sauvignon. Cabernet Sauvignon. Which is so crazy to me because I don't know that I've ever had, like, I feel like when I've had a red blend with Cabernet in it, Cabernet is like the, the star. primary. Yeah, it's the star. It's like the, oh, thank you for all my supporting actors. But like, shh. <laughs> that was like the best pop. Uh, I've been working on it, girl. <laughs> You got some good pops going on, for real. It's a very fancy cork. Is it? It's got a fancy, like, chateau oh, shit. thing on it there. Really, and it actually has a, the year of it. Yeah. So it's, like, specific so that you know what it came out of. That's mm-hmm. fun. Okay, so the winemaker, and we'll get into his Ooh. history, but... Why do I feel like I'm smelling so much perfume today? Um, okay. Well, I'm going to pour you. Did you put some perfume on? No. Oh. Not at all. Oh, and before you more than that, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, I mean, come on. Wait, did did I feel like I read that this does not need to be decanted? Is that right? It's not recommended to be decanted. Yeah. So they have two. They have um, two major wines they're famous for. One is the Moussardin that we're drinking, mm-hmm. and the it's more of their like. Everyday wine, I guess. And the Chateau Moussard is... The special shit. The special shit, and that they recommend decanting. So, so as we get into kind of this, obviously our topic is perseverance in winemaking. Yes. Um, and we're drinking Moussard June from... Um, oh, it smells so good. Does it? Yeah, it does, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm really happy about this. Uh, a Lebanese wine made from Chateau Moussard, and they have... A namesake wine, Chateau Moussard, which yeah. we have a picture on our website. We do have the bottle, one of the bottles. And um, that's actually what I stumbled upon at another Milwaukee restaurant randomly. 
At least randomly for me. Not Anyways, we'll there. get into this, but cheers. Cheers. Oh, it smells so good. Oh, it does. It is perfumey. You're right. Right? Even the cork smelled perfumey. Mm-hmm. Oh, it oh. smells really good. Whew. Wow. That is tannic. It is. There's so many flavors coming it's at me. It's also like um, it's black cool. currant. I get some black currant. I get like uh, dried prunes, like a cooked, maybe. And mixed with cooked, like blackberry, too. Yeah. Yeah. Like a yeah. Co- Yes. I think it needs to breathe a little bit. Ooh. I actually think this one could use some decanting, even though so? the website doesn't is recommends it more for their other wine. That's but okay. um, so all their wines are unfiltered. And what? Get, yeah. All of, even this line. Right. Really? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's surpri- That's that's actually very interesting. So the unfiltered means that you're likely going to find more sediment. Mm-hmm. And what like it's more natural. We're on this segue. We're like, I know. Like, we're on this path, this trajectory to talk more about like natural, sustainable Dude, wines. I'm getting like stewed plum, a lot of it, up in this, up in this musar. Up in this musar. <laughs> <laughs> Is that like your his house? No, I guess. Up so. in this chateau. Up in this chateau. You yo. know what I'm saying, yo. Oh man, that is good. It is okay. I will say, I feel like there's a lot of fruit that hits at the back it's of the throat. It's a lot going on. In the yeah. back of the throat. But it does have a very, uh, it, you're right. It's, it's a lot of cooked red, purple, dark fruits. Yeah. And it's so, it actually surprisingly though, would you equate this to a medium or full bodied? I would say this is more full bodied. Okay. Um, I could see how you could say it's medium because I feel like it doesn't quite last as long as you would expect. I wouldn't say it's an, an immediate clean finish, right. but it, it, it does not, it doesn't have that lingering, like you can wait like another minute or two before you have another It's taste. spicy. Yeah. It's super spicy. It's like fruit and spicy. I feel like I could drink this all day and still get different things on the tongue and on the smell. Like it Do you is think that's because you just get more intoxicated as you drink. <laughs> so you're gonna pick up different things. Jimmy, are you taking away from my <laughs> from my profound your moment in your palate? No. Yeah, that's probably I'm the just case. Kidding. No, I think you're right. Because I do think that at some point, you know, you you start well, I do think that some of it's power of persuasion, at least like in like conversing with somebody. So else. true. But if you sit there and you just like think about it and ruminate on like what you're experiencing in the glass, I do think that as things warm up, as things oxygenate a little bit more, you know, it's I think that more is gonna come to fruition and you can piece together more individual Are you getting like a little flavors. raisin even? Yeah, but like I don't I truly I felt like it was like I was eating some sort of pie that has like blackberries and blueberries and like cherries in it. Oh, I see. I get a lot of plum. Uh, I don't know. I get a lot of like stewed. Now this makes you feel like I need to eat more plums, but it is a, it's a beautiful color too. It's like this, like really dark, like, Oh yeah. I'm digging it. Um, Ruby red, dark, jewel toned color. (laughs) I'm thinking, I'm sorry. (laughs) 
I'm like staring in the distance. Jamie's got Sarah's this just look on her face, like I'm, like I'm trying to pull something out, and I can't. I can't figure it's, it's it. It's a complex wine. That's I do for think sure. that it tastes a little oaky. Like I, I feel like really, I don't get oak. Really, no. I feel like there's like something that tastes like woody. Maybe woody. Maybe okay. not oaky, but like more. I don't know, foresty. Like I feel like I have like. Okay, a cedar so, plank, cedar. Maybe that's what I feel. Okay, it is kind of an alpine thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I can understand that. So let's talk a little bit about Lebanon. Let's talk about a little bit about wine country, and then we got to talk about the winemaker because he is phenomenal well, for sure. He's fascinating. He's super, super is. Okay, super is. <laughs> so, so this is from the Becca Valley in Lebanon. Becca Which, Valley. I don't know where that is. Should should we pull I, up a map? Yeah, Ms. I Jamie? mean, I already had to look up a map of Lebanon because I wasn't quite sure where it was. Because you thought it was in world. Europe. I, listen, I thought it was everywhere, but where it is. <laughs> <laughs> As I said before, geography is not my forte. It's okay. It's okay. It's not my. We're lucky. I know north, south, east, and west when I drive. Which I guess that's a feat for the, many. Doesn't your car tell you that? It does, but I don't pay attention to it anymore. I don't need to. I just know. I am one oh. with the directions. Are you, are you one with the earth? <laughs> just not the map. I'm one, with the, I'm one with the directions, not the map. You're one with the earth. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. Yeah, where specifically? So so it's, it's, it's on the Mediterranean. Yeah. So think on the... So Cyprus... If anyone knows where Cyprus is, it's right in the middle of the Mediterranean. And if you went, oh God, forgive me for my, um, how dare you? (laughs) You know how much I love the how dare yous. How dare you? I was just watching, I think a friend's episode, oh, an office episode. Okay. And they say, how dare you? So... They do? They certainly do. This is like season four. In what context? Um, I don't know if Pam or Jim says it to one another, but they definitely say, like somebody says something, they're like, how dare you? How dare you? It was wonderful. Um, Okay, so while you're looking that whole thing up. I'm I'm just trying to get a map so that I can be clear, because I know what I want to (laughs) say, but then I feel like I'm going to be wrong. It's important. I need to look at the map while I'm discussing the location. Okay, so... Lebanese is actually one of the oldest winemaking, uh, oldest sites of wine production in the world. Um, according to Wikipedia, <laughs> unverified sources, <laughs> the Israelite prophet Hosea is said to have urged his followers to return to Yahweh so that they will blossom as the vine and their fragrance will be like the wine of Lebanon. Yahweh is God. Yes. Right. The Phoenicians of its coastal strip were instrumental in spreading the wine and viticulture throughout the Mediterranean. And currently, well, I'm not, I actually, there's not a year for this, but it seems that there is a, in general, an annual production of wine throughout the entire country of about 6 million cases, which for the size Mm -hmm. of the country is pretty (laughs) profound. It's a small place. It's a, it is a very small place, but uh, so when you think about it, like that is a good turnout for the, for wines. I don't know. I couldn't immediately find anything about like, you know, sort of the import export, whatever situation, if they maybe consume most of their own wines, excuse me, in country. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, that's pretty sizable for them. 
But by comparison of some of, you know, like our, the U.S., like big names, that's, you know, I don't want to say chump change. Yeah, but, but you have to understand small. this country has been going through war for. And the fact that this is prolonged. So many years. around. Yeah. They no. haven't had a chance to quite make their wine and for the world to actually know their wine because of war. And so that's when we start talking about this winemaker and his his perseverance mm-hmm. through the war mm-hmm. and making the wine. It's so remarkable. Anyways, let's get back to the location here. <laughs> did you find it? No, I knew it. I just wanted to make sure that I... You was, had to double check. I had to double check because okay. I didn't want to misspeak. Okay. So it's 34 degrees north of the equator. It's further south than anywhere in Spain or Italy. So they get a lot of sunshine Ooh, hot. in the summer months. And that's part of why mm-hmm. the Sincel... I'm digging this. I am. So. <laughs> it's good, right? It, it is. It's very actually, unique and different. It's so different, but it's such a it's such a pleasing, I think, flavor that you have in your mouth. It just and it's very good. It's like you keep drinking and there's like more to it as you drink, at least for me. I feel like I'm eating pie without eating pie. Oh. Does that make sense? Less calories. <laughs> it's healthier for you. Antioxidants. Antioxidants. Minus the carbs. Cerebral. Minus all the carbs. Oh, that's right. The thing I can't pronounce. <laughs> uh, so anyways, the hot summer climate makes sense why since so is a huge grape in this wine because Becca Valley, hot summer climates. Since so needs hot summer climates to grow and to, to, to thrive. It does so better it, in these yes. dry climates. And you don't really see it very much. The biggest areas that you see it more are France and South Africa, actually. Yeah. So, south of France, I should specify. Yeah, yeah. So, south of France like and South Africa. I think it's like Languedoc area. Yeah. Right. So, these are hotter, drier climates, and that is where the Becca Valley is. And so, I think that's why it's we see this, this big uh, 50% wine of Cinso, which usually is, um, like you said... More of a blending grape, and it's not the star. We have Cabernet as the 20% and Syrah as the 30%. Yeah. So, they're, they're, uh, the vineyards are 30 kilometers southeast of Beirut. So, Beirut is the capital of Lebanon. Um, and they are at very high altitudes, 1,000 meters above sea level. And the, the actual vineyard, the ground, is very gravelly and has stone soils that are oh. situated over limestone. And this actually produces these high-quality vines that they've had for so many years. It's like that harsh climate. I feel like they have to, like, dig deep. Like, the roots have to dig deep in order to survive. But limestone, is that... That's, like, a slightly... It's actually softer. Yeah. Right? Isn't Uh it? Like, which is the irony always to me because I think limestone, I think stone, yeah, super hard and impenetrable. But, like, isn't it more, like... It can be, like, more crushed or whatever. So... Anyway, that's really interesting. Well, also, um, they have cool nights because they're at high altitude. Um, so that's always good for grapes. hot, hot summer, dry, but cool, cool nights. Yeah. Um, so these seasonal temperatures, they actually, actually have a longer ripening period than most other wines, even though they really, have, yeah. Interesting. Right. So they call this a pure Alpine environment, which is Again, you wouldn't equate Lebanon with that, right? No, not really. I think when you Mm -hmm. think of anywhere in the Middle East, you think mostly a desert. Um, But this environment requires little to no intervention in making the vines healthy. 
So this brings us to the fact that all these wines are organic and yeah, are unfiltered. All of all of the wines. So little again, little intervention, mm-hmm. right? So it's the more natural way of making wine. Um, and again, sort of trying to pull specifically through what the vines produce and not really trying to mess with anything else, not really doctoring it, if you will, no, in they, any form or shape. Cause this is, um, this is actually an oat. I know I said, it, I felt that there's like some foresty, some mm-hmm. sort of maybe cedary it nature probably to it. The it's terroir. Just, yeah, exactly. It's a terroir. It's not because it was oaks. Um, mm-hmm. cause this, these were actually, this Moussarjun was actually, um, oh my God, where did I just lose it? Oh, it was fermented in cement lined vats. And yeah. Bottles. I actually knew that. I don't know why I didn't tell you that. A year after harvest. <laughs> and release. So, so it's, bo- okay. So it's bottled a year after harvest. So it's, it's fermented for a year in those cement line vats and then it's released a year later. So they want to make sure that there's some sort of aging mm-hmm. going on. Right. So we're drinking the 2014, which means that it actually wasn't purchasable until probably 2016. Right. When you think about all of that. Yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, that's pretty cool. And this was the, uh, Musar was the, was the first in Lebanon to implement, implement organically certified viniculture. That's cool. And this no. is also that vegan. That was in, in 2006, right? This is also vegan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause it's unfiltered. Isn't all wine vegan? I mean, I think some, some could argue that it's not always depending on some of the practices that... You mean things they add to wine? Kind of, yeah. That's disgusting. I know. I know. But anyway, I wanted to mention that for those of our vegan listeners who might be interested. This is an off-the-beaten path. I I wouldn't even know how you would go about like being like... Verifying that? Yes! How do you verify that a wine is vegan? How do vegans find wines? Or do you just drink wine and you mm. just don't care? Because you're like, it's grapes. I'd be on that train. So I'm vegan because my diet consists of... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> my diet consists of purely grapes. <laughs> I drink more. I eat more than to just drink wine. Yeah, well, you know. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, okay. All right, I like this. I, I swear to God, I it's so funny because I just really want everyone to taste this because it's... It's very unique. Isn't it good? Yeah, but I, Sarah, I know that we've had a Sinsalt before. Perhaps, I'm trying to remember if it was French specifically or if, in fact, it came from Washington. Mm. Remember, we had a wine tasting and we did a little flight before uh-huh. that? I'm not sure. And I remember, I do remember ordering this because I was like, I don't know what that is. And I did, we didn't like it. It was not good. Well, this one's good. But I think that because... Perhaps this is the better climate for it to be grown in. Yes, that is true. And also, you know, one of the things, um, you know, what it's known for, again, is often be blended, and they say that it adds softness and a bouquet, mm-hmm. which is amazing Like right. when you think about it. I mean, it adds softness. Again, I do feel like this is pretty tannic. I... It's even quite acidic to me. I I don't know. Really? I, yeah, a little bit. And I don't know if that's just because it's. It seems like I I just sort of sort of started to get that. 
I might change my mind on that in like a couple minutes because I'm just letting this sit. <laughs> Ask for her a later. Ask her towards the end. Ask me towards the end of the episode. The podcast episode. Uh, how she feels about it, and we'll get into that. I, I suppose I'll continue to weigh in. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, so um, I, I did. I want to also say that. Um, you know, I painted the kind of the picture of the altitude and the sea and all that, but it actually is flanked by mountains as well. So the it's a valley. Yeah. It's a valley. A valley. So it's the Becca Valley. Right. Okay. Becca Valley. And so it's when we talk about the alpine temperature and all that, the average temperature is 25 degrees Celsius. Which is? Um, <laughs> that's hot. Huh? Yeah, is it but hot? The, it is hot, but it has cool. Uh, like right. Said, you said it's great fluctuation between night and day, right? Yeah. So yeah. you have cool nights. It's just like any other forest, right? So it's seventy-seven degrees Fahrenheit. So you have cool nights and, or I'm sorry, warm days and cool nights in a dry climate. Sounds like a good story. I feel like I need to like live somewhere like that. Because <laughs> here's the thing: I really do enjoy my warm days. But I can't handle sleeping in the heat. Nope. I am freezing all the time, except when except when sleep. I'm trying to sleep, and then I need it to be like a freezer. I agree. I there's something I agree wrong with that. No. I mean, I feel like there are doctors who are like, you should come get tested for X, Y, and Z. But oh, thyroid done it. Yep. Yep. <laughs> anyway, uh, they also have 300 days of sunshine a year. Hmm. It's like Denver, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> so so uh, okay. Some of the wine tasters taster tasting is <laughs> some of the wine tasters notes. Oh, um, specifically, okay. Specific vintage. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Did I not verbalize that correctly before? <laughs> uh. They have juice, <laughs> juicy sweet summer fruits, raspberries, black cherries with hints of elderberry and hibiscus that dominate the oh. palate, which is beautifully balanced with soft tannins and fresh underlying acidity and incense-like spice. I get the spice for sure. What the hell does elderberry taste like? I don't know, but it's funny because I just bought an elderberry beer to give to my brother for like a Monty Python joke. But anyway, uh... I feel the hibiscus. I feel the hibiscus because too. that I think that's a perfumey that as I soon could as I not read peg. that I was like yes, yep, I that is exactly it. what it is. But I'm not used to like looking for hibiscus in my wine. No, not at all. So yeah, and as you said, they were fermented in concrete vats, mm-hmm. um, and they for this specific vintage, the 2014. They blended the three varieties in March of 2015. It rested again in concrete vats until being bottled in the summer of 2015. I feel like you don't get that much um, specification usually. No, not usually. I don't find that that much information. And it's a a 14% ABV. Can you... Sorry. Can you backtrack for like five seconds? Uh So, oh my God, what was my question going to be? The flavors again. Mm-hmm. So the hibiscus, the elderflower, or elderberry. Oh, black cherry. The tannins thing. That's what I wanted to know. Soft, soft tannins and freshly 
underlying acidity and incense like spice. Okay, maybe the acidity is underlying, but I mean, I do think that the tannins are a bit more pronounced. I'm not sure that they're soft. They're not like overpowering or like. Abrasive. You know what I think it is? I do think the tannins are soft. I think what you're getting is that spice that you you're equating to a tannin. I'm getting a lot of dryness in the mouth there. Yeah. No, I don't get it. I am. I am. Not I that it's bad. Again, I think it is actually very quite fitting to the wine. But okay. So, so I think I think like you said, fitting to the wine is yeah. the story. Chateau Moussard was founded in 1930. Okay. By Gaston. I'm Gaston. Gonna Gaston. Gaston. But that's like French. They're French. They are. Okay. Okay. So Lebanon and France have quite like the history. Okay. So yes, they are technically like if you go way back in their history, they're French, but they've been in Lebanon for generations. Yeah. Okay. So that makes me. Okay. So Gaston and Serge or Serge. I think it's Serge. Yeah. Serge. Yep. So Gaston Hochar. Initially burst on the international scene in 1979. Uh-huh. Okay, so they'd been in around for nearly 50 years, and it took them a while to kind of make it into the wine scene. Yeah, but honestly, once they did, they are Chateau Moussard is actually well known and one of the, if not the only, Middle Eastern wine that's really offered anywhere in the states. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's the only one, but it's definitely like the it's most a top. Yeah, it's one of the most. And it's ones. it's the only one offered um, in the French Laundry restaurant in yeah. Uteville, which is like legendary for what wines they they have. They they only have the most the highest wines in the country. Yeah, I'm sorry, in the world. And then in uh, New York City, there is a uh, restaurant called Rouge Tomate, which is like. One of them, again, a highly recognized wine yeah. restaurant. And they have a dedicated section titled All Hail the Almighty Chateau Moussard. Oh, but that's Terroir Tribeca. Yeah. That dude. I'm sorry. Yes. It's a place in both. But that, but Terroir Tribeca is the only that has that is section. Is the one that has that yeah. section. And they have like, apparently their wine, wine list is, you know, almost legendary because it's yeah. so, it, it's so unique. And they, I read recently that Tribeca actually has an ode to Chateau Moussard, if you will, because, and it's like a whole poem on like one of the pages. And I think that's amazing because I think, you know, it's, it's really challenging a, because some of these wines, I don't necessarily know that this wine would be preferred by a huge population. I, well, you know, I think it's really, I think it is for the more advanced palate. True. Yes. Um, that's a good point, but Okay, so I have to tell you, what drew me more to this wine before I even knew about the taste of this wine was the story. And so, you know, Lebanese wine, you're like, oh, what's that about? We don't really hear about it. Like, we talked about Slovenian wine and everything. But that being said, I think the story behind this is really different than a lot of the stories we hear. Mm -hmm. So tell Um, us. Sure, I will. It's story time with Sarah. Story time. So, like we said, this is um, a super old wine. 87 years, 87 years old is the winery. Mm-hmm. The winery is actually set in this Mediterranean, like, castle, villa that is located, like, right on the, on the sea. That's awesome. It, it's amazing. I saw pictures, and, like, I was like, I, <laughs> I, I need to be I there. I need to be there. <laughs> 
However, the vineyards are not that close by, considering how small the country is. It oh, is really? Like a, yeah, it is like a, about, an, I th- think, an hour to two hours away, the vineyards The are. vineyards mm-hmm. themselves? So the reason that um, it's far from that is because in 1930s, 30s, when the winery was installed, um, again, this, this is like a castle, right, that overlooks the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. Um, they wanted to make sure, like, there was something about the country and the way it was being divided that they wanted to make sure that the winery stayed in Lebanon because there was a lot of boundary divisions happening in those those oh, times, and so okay. that's why they had it there. So you have a beautiful winery that's located far from their vines. And so how do you deal with that in times of conflict? I was going to say that's got to be hard to control. Right. So they, especially hard to control, but especially, I mean, forget like weather and such that things no, I that mean, like make you delay. Accessibility like in to he, your... here, we're like, oh, traffic. Well, what about bombs? You know what I'm saying? Right. Like that's insane. So the Lebanese civil war was really the most interesting part of this story is because it was a 20 year conflict. Mm-hmm. And they had to create detours to get the grapes from the winery or from the vineyard to the winery because the roads were battle torn. So what would take an hour to two hours took seven. That's unbelievable. Seven hours. And throughout this entire time, they only lost two vintages. And that was 1976 and 1984. So there is no wines that you can get from Chateau Moussard during those... For those two years. For those two years. Yeah. But out of all of those... 20 years of conflict, like for, to only lose two vintages, especially considering, I, I mean, I would just imagine, first of all, I would imagine that people would be terrified during the whole like white oh, yeah. process. Right. I'm and sure. then every time that you would go out and I, I'm not sure if you know why they lost those two vintages, if it was because. So I was trying to figure it out and I think some of it was, they just couldn't get the grapes to the winery. Okay. Because you also consider how long it takes to harvest things. Yeah. And I no, mean, for sure. considering that and then like the safety of your harvesters and yeah. the safety of the transportation and just getting out and back there. Again, these are things that I, I guess I never really thought about in terms of what goes into a bottle of wine, you know, way back when, but now it's like, I feel like there's more appreciation that comes into it. And I think that this highlights, highlights that perfect. Well, not only that. Also think to the fact that this isn't, this is a mountainous environment. Yeah. So we're not talking about like you're driving down the highway, you're cruising, you got your, you know, your, your sunroof, it's mountainous, it's harsh environments. Okay. So it's actually interesting because the grapes are picked by Bedouins, which are basically wanderers that wander through the desert. And these people pick the, the grapes and I don't know who brings them. Don't think it's them that brings it to the, the winery, but they have to drive over the mountains to get to the winery. What? What? Where does this actually happen in any other place? I don't think it does. I don't know. It's it, obviously it seems to be a very unique situation, and they produce a very unique tasting wine, like a unique wine for yeah. sure. If you experience this, just. Again, I mean, this talk, this speaks to the perseverance, but like, there's always the question of like, well, you could just stop. Like, why don't you just 
stop why doing it. Like, stop. It's not safe. Like, why don't you just like chill out? Because or this guy, perse- again, his perseverance, his commitment to his art was just like unbelievable. Unbelievable. Un- almost like what? Oh God, I just lost the word. It's remarkable. You said you used the word remarkable before, and yeah. I think it truly speaks to, you know, kind of a not only just the winemaker, because I, yes, you have to do a lot of things, but like all of the people who made this possible. And not to mention the fact that the actual winery was used as air raid shelters for villagers during the Civil War. Shut up. No, please keep talking. I'm sorry. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> so. They had cellars built into the mountainside close to where their winery was, and these were used as air raid shelters. For Isn't the that crazy? For, for villagers. Wow. Because, they, I mean, it was like great climate for wine storage. However, it's also... Multi-purpose. Multi-purpose shelter. But, okay, we got to talk about Serge. He is, I think... How old? When was he born? Um I know. I'm when sorry. I'm asking stupid questions. So, no, not at all. <laughs> he, he is the, one of the most inspirational winemakers I have ever read about. He was born in 1939, and he died okay. in 2014 recently. Oh, okay. Yes. Oh, yes, I read Yeah. So when he was 20, um, well, when Gaston was 20, mm-hmm. he founded Chateau Moussard. So that's his father. Right. Uh, and so Lebanon's been making wine for 6,000 years. But Gasson, you know, hailed from France or he had traveled, he traveled through Bordeaux and (laughs) he had friends that were stationed. Beaujolais. No. Beaujolais. (laughs) What? Bordeaux. Gotcha. Bordeaux. (laughs) (laughs) Um, anyways, I don't want to say, okay. Yeah. So <laughs> he made friends with Gaston. Uh, wait, Gaston made friends with Gaston. No, Gaston made friends with. Oh, right. Gaston made friends with some people in World War II. Um, some people. <laughs> yeah. Some majors, <laughs> you know, There's Major Ronald Barton of Chateau Langlois Barton. Oh. Who was stationed in Lebanon during World War II. That is how he kind of, like, uh. he knew about wine, but that's what strengthened the link between Chateau Moussard and Bordeaux. Okay? Oh, I got you. Okay, sorry for the... You know, I got you. So Serge is Gaston's um, eldest son, and he is a civil engineer by trade, but then he decided mm-hmm. to study enology, and um, he went to the University of Enology in Bordeaux, mm-hmm. and... He said, I want to make the wine my way. I want it to be known worldwide, and I want you to quit. That's what he told his dad. Shut up. Yeah. That is insane. Could you? No. Could you imagine the balls it would take to say that to your father? Big ones. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Big cojones. Okay. So he became the winemaker in 1959. Um, when he was 20. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, his father gave it to him, basically. He then spent 18 years perfecting the Chateau Moussard's formula. Um, and in 1984, he finally was recognized in Decanter Magazine's first man of the year 
for for producing superb quality wines during Lebanon's civil war. Um, it, that was a huge thing for a Middle Eastern wine to be showcased in Decanter's magazine. No shit. Yeah. Right? That's amazing. Perseverance. It, I mean, for sure. Like, because consider, know. consider. okay, when he was born, mm-hmm. his father, by the time he came into it, yep. his father had already established this. Yep, but right? he said he and wanted he to said, make them legendary, he and he did. He basically said, Dad... I don't think you're doing everything you can be, which is a very challenging thing to say. I mean, it's just, I can't imagine the stress that it would take to like say that to your father and be like, I think I can do it better. And also, uh, I think that's really freaking hard. I think it is. But also the fact that his dad was like, you know what? Okay. And stepped aside and like basically bequeathed it to him, I guess. And just said, I think that bequeathed. you can. I like I, that you I'm said sh- <laughs> I think that um, it's amazing. And it, actually, just the fact that it took... So he took over in 79, you said? Wait, when did you say? I'm sorry. Uh, when did he take over? Yeah. Um, I believe I was poorly it doing was math. 59. 59. Okay, yeah. so he was, tw- he was 20 because mm-hmm. he was born in 39. Yeah. And then it was in 84... That he yes, was, that he was first recognized. So consider that amount of time. It's a huge amount of time. What are You're we talking about? Chatting like over twenty years, and I mean, he had to have like done something good for a few. I haven't done anything years. that long. Oh yeah, well, except be alive, breathe. Yeah, that's the hey. It takes a lot to live and breathe. Okay. <laughs> But the fact that he actually, you know what? You're not going to get everything you want and you're, you're not going to be the best of the best in a short turnaround time. No, you got to work at it. Unless you're an outlier, it. right? You have to work at it. Exactly. And it's like, he knew that he was trying, he was going to attain something really fucking yep. phenomenal. And he's yep. like, you know what? It's going to be slow moving. Mm-hmm. We're going to inch towards it and we're going to make sure that it's done right. We're not going to try to rush into it and like do something great for a couple years and then it's going to go downhill. He literally just gradually grew it into what he wanted it to be yeah. and what he aspired to have Chateau yep. Mossard be. And God, that is amazing. Amazing. It really, truly is. Yeah. Um, so the wine we're drinking actually um, started in 2007. So this is, okay, so this is a newer line. This is so, their newer line. Um, in 2010, Serge rec- received the Lifetime Achievement Award from the German magazine Der Feinschmacker. What? Uh, and he's got a couple sons. He's Der got... Fein, what? Uh, uh, Der Feinschmecker. <laughs> Der Feinschmecker. I like it. Thanks, Sarah. I like it. Uh, and his son, Gaston, had already had been... Oh, helping. it melts my heart. Oh. He's named after his grandfather. Yes, he is. Okay. Um, so he had already been helping with, with the winery. And now, um, when that happened, his other son, Mark decided to help run and expand the winery. Okay. Um, and so since, uh, Serge has passed away in 2014, um, his sons have been running the winery in 2015. They had a big celebration for their 85th anniversary. 85 years. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. That's pretty, that's pretty wonderful. I mean, 
I think two. Eighty-five years through war-torn times. No one does that. Could you imagine? No. I think life would suck. Not only the trials and tribulations, I guess, of going to school, because if you consider to, like... I mean, he had children then during that time as well. He has three boys. Yeah. So, it's not easy. There are a lot of, you know, sort of competing priorities, if you will. Yeah. And a lot of things that you have to sort of manage and figure out how to get through shit. And still to make a name for yourself. It's, I think, a lot of... Okay, do you know how you talk about, we always talk about how the winemaker can sometimes be present in the wine. Yeah. I really feel that with this. Oh, for sure. So Serge has some philosophies and some quotes where you're like, holy shit, that's deep. Oh my God. Wait, is that what you were reading to me before? Yes. Yeah. Those are his quotes. Yeah, like this yeah, guy, this man is really like the guy that you want to listen to about terroir. He really, I makes mean, the way he speaks about, about wine is in a unique way. Yeah, um, I think many people don't necessarily understand. I feel like he has an understanding of wine in such a different way because of the stories and because of what he's had to go through. Yeah, that people don't quite understand here. Like, it's more than just your little penguin that you're pouring. <laughs> My little penguin. You're right. This actually has more of a tail to it and not a yeah, penguin tail. No, and it has more of an actual it's, tail it's and a story, story and an evolution of it. Exactly. If you will. Because I think that, you know, maybe if Serge hadn't gone to his, to his father, Gaston, and said, you know what? I can do this better. Mm-hmm. I want to take this places. I want to make this legend. Wait for it. Dairy. Maybe if he hadn't done that. We would not be drinking Moussard June or Chateau Moussard. Probably not. It may not have sur- have have crossed the international waters and Probably not. become what it is. Because I think you're right. I think that there is, you know, what has been accomplished definitely speaks to what a winemaker puts in. And I think that that's sort of what you and I have, you know, talked about not only in the podcast, but also, mm-hmm. you know, just like together there's so much more that gets put into a, a bottle of wine. There's so much more that goes into it's it. Someone's... But it's not everybody who does it that way. No, but in some ways, and for some people, it's their heart, it's their soul. And so I think that this is like, the for so many years, this is such a good representation of that. <laughs> so I'm yes. going gonna, gonna to talk about some of the quotes. And then I want to talk about how he actually got on the map here in the yeah. United States. Um. So, one of his quotes, wine is communication. We agree on one word to use, but sometimes the meaning of that word for each of us is different. This is how we can communicate more clearly through wine. Okay, that's an okay quote. Next quote. Each time I taste my wines, I discover a new dimension to my wines. As a wine gets older, each bottle takes its place. I'm at a point where now each day I drink a completely different wine. Interesting. Like, well think about i mean we talked about perceptions sorry i want you to read more because they're great ones but we've talked about how like certain um you know if you read things or if you hear something from something else it's like power persuasion like you like maybe 
I don't know, maybe you ate a lot of veggies and you're like super vegged out or like maybe that's like what's super prominent in your palate and like mm-hmm. that's all you can pull out. Uh-huh. Maybe you've just eaten a shit ton of cherries and you're like, mm-hmm. fuck, this wine just tastes terrible because it's like plum or something. Whatever. I feel like there are certain biases and right. I feel like acknowledging the fact that things will taste differently based on what day it is, what time mm-hmm. it is, what mm-hmm. you've eaten, how you've slept, yeah. what you've done. Each time you drink wine is a different experience. It's a different experience. It's who you're sharing it with. It's it's, it's everything. Yeah. And so I think that, yeah, I really love that quote because I think it speaks to the fact that you might try a wine one time and love it. And that's great because then it, that might carry you through every time you drink that wine, mm-hmm. you might associate that wine with something, but like, it's also sort of, I think it helps you understand how you develop and grow as a person. Yeah. And, you know, a bottle of wine is like a, a human being, you know, it, it you age totally and you, is. That's you, totally you, you, you change every, everything about you just it not completely changes, but like sort of like morphs into something else. And it's, it's, it's cool. I think it's super cool. I mean, like to, to be able to taste someone's experience through what they've made. Yeah. Yeah. I like that to taste someone's experience. Through what yeah. Made. Like it's, it's insane. And like this guy taste is, taste the expert. it's like taste the rainbow. Um, but I mean, his philosophies I think are so touching. Like I am, I am so intrigued by this man. Yeah. I'm sad that he's dead. Read me more. All right. Uh, he says, good wine should be dangerously enjoyable. I want to make a wine that troubles me. Oh my God. Wait, I think that's amazing. I think that is his cornerstone for like what his wine is. I want I to mean, make a wine it's that like troubles I want to me. make wine. You know what that is? I want to make wine that makes me think. I want to sit there and, and like really think about this and like enjoy it and like talk about and like. I mean, holy shit is that deep. Yeah. But even, wait, even if you take that and shift it into like maybe the more literal sense Mm -hmm. of like, I want to make a wine that troubles me. Like he goes through these like, like extra steps and extra things that he needs to Mm -hmm. consider that other winemakers don't. Mm -hmm. But that is what creates such a unique experience of the bottle. And it's I so think true. That it's it's both literal and figurative, yeah. and you know it can be applied in a variety of settings. Here's another thing I think is interesting: the power of the life of wine is astonishing. I've seen wines die and then th- come back to life later on. I made the decision myself: the wine is dead, throw it away. Yet I was wrong. Whoa, that is amazing. But I'm going to ask you this: so we're drinking Musarjun. Hmm. Which basically had a two year from mm-hmm. harvest to bottle mm-hmm. or harvest to selling. But Chateau Moussard is actually, it is a seven year process. Do you think that he like is referring to any of that? Like where he's like, so we didn't talk about his other wine, Chateau Moussard and the seven year process. Maybe mm-hmm. we should talk about that. Let's talk a little bit about that because this Chateau Moussard, which is sort of what put him, I would say on the map, especially mm-hmm. considering Moussard June is you know, barely 10 years old. Yeah. So basically it's also fermented in cement line vats, mm-hmm. but then it's a age in French Nevers oak barrels, uh, which only a small percentage are new. Then they are blended and bottles without filtration at the end of the third year. But then they don't get the mm-hmm. final blend 
until they're aged another three to four years, and then they're released in their seventh year. So it is like literally a seven-year winemaking process. And there is, I think, I think one of the really cool things about their website, yeah, is they give you um, really like detailed instructions on how to drink their wine. Drink it, store it. All yep, of that. especially yeah. the Chateau, or I'm sorry, yes, the Chateau Musar, because it is like this like seven year unfiltered wine. And they talk about like how to decant it, how to open it, how to store it. I mean, like, well, and that's I, the funny thing about these these wines that are unfiltered because. So when we when when you talk about that, like that means that you have you're gonna have sediment, you're gonna have extra maybe mm-hmm. lees, like still mm-hmm. like sitting in there, like yeast dead yeast particles. Yeah. And I don't think it'll kill you to drink it, but like you probably don't wanna disturb it. So the way you store it, how you handle it should be very gentle. And I think that, that you know, it's how to get the best out of the bottle. They do talk yeah, and they talk about like the handling of it, like yeah. It should be on its side, stored, and then the night before, it should be standing up to allow the sediment to settle, and then Mm -hmm. you should decant it, and then let it breathe for several hours. Hours? Yes. Oh, man. Sarah, we're going to have to do that. We do. Sarah found a bottle. So I found a 2009 of Chateau Massard, which um, I had to special order. Mm-hmm. And we are we are not drinking it today, but we will be drinking it in the future as a celebration, bitches, bitches. <laughs> but <laughs> I will say, I so I actually had a Chateau Moussard myself at actually the Potawatomi Casino. Oh my god, the steakhouse! And did they do it right? We ended up getting the ninety six. This sommelier actually came out and did like the bottle opening. The sad part is the cork actually cracked. Oh, no. So you're a little concerned about it right then yeah. and there, right? And so then it was a big deal because the sommelier was like, uh, like, he tried it first. He didn't give it to us until he tried it to make sure everything was like copacetic. But they decanted it and they did not. I, I've read about ways that you can decant and when you decant, you should use like a, a candle so you can see through the bottle and make sure that no sediment gets Oh, in. interesting. But there are other ways that you can do it where you have uh, you, like a filter that you put mm-hmm. at the top of your whatever decanter you're using uh-huh. and take out any sediment or extraneous information or extraneous information, extraneous um, particles uh-huh. that you don't want. Um, but I will say we drank it quickly, but it was something that was like so interesting. It was not, was not oxidized. It was like somewhat kind of nutty. Like it was like, it was very cool because I also, when you drink a wine that that's, that's that old, I don't know. I felt like I was drinking a part of history. Yeah, for sure. You know? And I was like, I just can't, especially from somewhere so far away. Yes. And I'd never had a Lebanese wine before. That was the first time. So this is the second time. Okay. But it's amazing because, again, you think seven years in the making, and you think a lot can happen in seven years. I think about the Civil War, right? Yeah. And I think about if these bottles are Uh actually housed for a total of seven years, could you imagine how much wine you have on hand at that point in time? And what if something... What if something happened? Bombs. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Someone attacked. Someone made you... I know that in, you know, the World Wars, like... They made people destroy all of their wine and, like, literally pour it out. Yeah. Could you imagine? It didn't happen, though. 
It did not. They persevered. They persevered. Yeah. They did it. They fucking did it. So, um, another quote from Mr. Surge. What you taste is truth. Whoa, hold on. (laughs) My religion is wine. It is a gift, which is a miracle of life. I am a Maronite Christian, but it is not that there... It is not there that the core of my humanity lies. It lies in accepting the other intolerance, which is the only lesson for humanity, and which is one of the chief lessons which wine can teach. Shit, dude. Wine is a teacher. That is freaking amazing. Sign me up for school. (laughs) (laughs) I think... Okay, this man is, like, extremely profound. And I think that he has a a very interesting way to connect wine and humanity. Truly, I think that he understands that, like... I actually... I know that you you read it, like, the beginning of your quotes about the communication thing. Uh Uh-huh. But to me, how that, that speaks to me is that wine can speak regardless of how you communicate. Right? Yeah. So, like... Maybe you speak French. Maybe you speak Japanese. Maybe yeah. you don't. Maybe you are deaf. I don't. I don't know. But you don't need to have the same exact language to speak with one another. No, you don't. If you can share again, we talked about the experience of wine, right? If you can share wine with one another, mm-hmm. and it is it's an experience, and you can speak to each other through wine. Yep. If you're drinking shitty ass wine, guess what? You're probably gonna fucking hate that person. Right. But like if you, I mean, it's like, it's, it's symbolic, I think. And I think that there's more to it than, than what it, you know, some people sort of attribute to. So I, I, I really do have to say this one thing also about him. You have another one? Another quote? It's not a quote. So there was a part in like the last period of his life where there was a bomb shelling in Beirut and he was there. And he didn't think he was going to survive. Oh, my God. And his neighbor actually died um, below him who had shrapnel to her heart or something. Stop it. Yeah. So his re- his way of dealing with this during this bombing was to pour a full bottle of Musar, <laughs> Musar 1972 into a Baccarat glass. And tasted over a 12-hour period until the explosions finally stopped. And he says, quote, Under these circumstances, you are hardly thinking anymore. The intensity of the moment is compensated by the intensity of the taste of the wine. It was such a companion to me that day. I said to myself, if I have to pass away, let me pass away with something very good. On which note, let's examine the ways in which Very good. Isn't that freaking crazy? Wow. Wow. Yeah. Like, this wine is deep, but I think <laughs> the winemaker is even deeper. It's When I was researching him before this podcast, I was like, I mean, it was like... It almost flabbergasted you. Like be, you yeah, like, it was like bee to a honey because I was... Be to a flower to make honey. Whatever the fuck. You know what I'm saying. I know exactly what you're saying. But I was just like, I was so drawn to this because I was like, this is amazing. A moth to a flame. Thank you. You're welcome. Beer, Sarah. This is why, <laughs> this is why a, we do it. A bee to a flower. A moth to a flame. <laughs> I have no idea. What? 
I know exa- I know what you're saying. I got you, girl. Anyway, what I'm saying is, is that like it was just so everything crazy. about it is captivating, and it's like it's, it's ca- so many yes. layers, layers upon layers. Because and surface-wise, you're like, oh, this is an interesting winemaking process. And then you're like, oh, fuck. Like, oh, but this was, like, started in 1930. Oh, my God. But then the sun, like, usurped. Maybe that's too strong of a word. But I think it's interesting. Usurped, like, the his father in, like, the winemaking business. And then this, like, Civil War. And you're just like, holy fuck. Like, and then you have to go and travel through mountains during bombing to make it yeah. to your winery. And mm-hmm. then, oh, wait, you did that for... 20 years and you only lost two vintages like that's insanity that's and then like oh by the way friends, like dedication. you're an insanely insp- inspirational person as well yeah. like fuck so okay I'm sorry Jesus. tell me so okay he passed away in 2014 <gasps> the vintage that we're drinking oh yeah mm-hmm. oh my god okay so he passed mm-hmm. away in 2014 so his mm-hmm. his Two sons. sons or one of his. Oh, yeah. Two, two sons. He has three sons. I don't know which is what is what is what. Gaston and Mark are for sure's. Yeah, and, and then there's another one, Ronald or something. I don't know. That sounds so American. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Uh, that's awesome. So it, so it is similarly a generational wine venture. But yeah. I think that it sh- goes to show that, you know, there are things that can come, like, through great... Great innovation and great, you know, dedication. And I mean, I think that he seemed to be very in tune with what changes needed to happen. Yeah. And, and sometimes um, it's not as intuitive. You got to do the trial no. and error shit, right? Well, I mean, and he was a non-interventionalist. So like we touched about his organic and all that. He just wanted to let nature do its course. And that leads to more variation from vintage to vintage. Mm-hmm. But guess what? It is like a, to- a very well-known. Oh, Yeah. Wine. So from vintage to vintage, this like very minimal intervention, it's it's still producing amazing yeah wines that capture a story, that capture a family, mm-hmm. that capture a war. I it's it's amazing. Yeah. I I can't get over it. No, it, it is it is quite amazing. I mean he just like his entire process. Yeah. Like the organic, non interventional, yeah. his his whole thing. Like you said, it's just, it's crazy. So he also uses very low levels of sulfur and wild yeasts. And doesn't worry about the high levels. Wait, sorry, of, what? Unsulfur? What? He uses very low levels of sulfur and wild yeasts. Okay. And doesn't worry much about high levels of volatile acidity because oh. it's an aspect of his fragrance. Wait, volatile acidity is, that's a wine flaw. Yeah, he doesn't worry about it. Huh. That's interesting that he was just like, I don't give a fuck. I mean, I he must have... I think it's... So he waits longer than normal people do for bottling his wines. Oh, yeah. You mentioned that. Yeah. That's... So, I mean, maybe that has something to do... I, I'm not quite sure. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. His primary objective is country, roots, genes, and history. I want to do another... Not quotes from him. Mm-hmm. But, so, I, you know, this is us two, quote-unquote, amateurs. Right. Drinking this wine. But, again, it's made, it's, it's made a name for itself, right? Yeah. In the States. And I know that we talked about Terroir Tribeca, and I mentioned, you know, their wine list and mm-hmm. stuff. I just like the exuberance to which this comment is made. Okay. And there are a couple things that I just wanted to say, but 
One is from Paul Greco, which is uh, one of the guys who founded the terroir restaurants uh-huh. and wine bars in uh, New York. Uh, it says, he says, when you stuck your schnoz uh-huh. in a glass of Musar, there's no other wine on the planet Earth that tasted like it. And I think it speaks to the the fact that, like, you... I feel like when you open a, gla- a bottle of wine, everybody wants to know exactly what they're going to get. Yeah. But there's so much that goes into it that, like... And what's the fun if you know all exactly the time, what you're exactly getting what every you're single getting. time? It's not. It's really not. I mean, doesn't just say that you can't have favorites in things. I mean, absolutely. But it's so much fun. It's so much more fun to experience that. And actually, from I will be sure to hunt out terroir next time I go to New York. It's there's so much more to it, and sommeliers like actually try to provide you with that experience and that background and knowledge to help you sort of navigate you know, opening up your palate and exploring new things and trying new things because listen, have I done everything? Have I persevered in the sense that the Musar uh, world has? I no. mean, I think you've persevered in life. I, I mean, but I mean, like, have you gone through war? No, no. there are, I have not done everything. Right. And I think that, you know, it's like, I, again, why do you drink wine? To this experience delicious. it. Well, it's delicious for sure, for sure, for sure. That's my, that was my first. Yeah. But now I think it's like more. It's more than that. It's more than that. It's to experience what's going in. And I have thoroughly enjoyed looking into sort of the story behind it and figuring out, you know, what what's in a grape, right? Um, but also like learning about the winemakers and learning about like what these wines represent because there's more to it. And I think that knowing a story can actually change how you perceive a particular wine, which I think is amazing. I agree. And I think that, that perhaps knowing that story, um, and knowing the, the people behind it actually, I'm going to say puts it on a pedestal to some extent, but I, I don't, I don't want to say that that's all that carries it. There's so much more that. No, is, it's, it's, if it, they complement each other, right? Yes. So the story complements the wine, the wine complements the story. Because if it was just one without the other, it wouldn't really... It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be. And if the wine sucked, well, then you would think that the story was bullshit. You know, but the wine yeah, that's doesn't actually a good suck. Point. And the wine is good, so the story has truth. So you go back and forth with these things, and you're like, oh my God, when you actually put it all together, it is, it is like it, you're drinking this, and you're thinking of him and these... Yeah. these quotes and his words and you're like oh I'm so glad you read those quotes I'm like I really hope that our listener I really hope that you guys like listen to that and like take it I mean read more about this guy he's inspirational yeah but carry all of that information with you like throughout like the rest of your wine experience dude I was reading his stuff and I was just like I kept I could not stop going down the rabbit hole yeah it's (laughs) like like, down down the rabbit hole I mean like I was like bookmarking things and like I mean it was insane I still have so much I want to read about him because I think he's so interesting and I am sad that he's dead because I would have loved to like I don't know talk to him I don't know how that would happen but like you know well I I mean it could yeah but I think that I mean 
Wow. It'd be actually interesting to see if we could find any interviews. interviews? Yeah, I was thinking that. If we could find any interviews. Ooh, that could be uh, fun. The winery is open for visits. Cool. Yeah. So you, uh, they do take, they do do winery tours. So if you find yourself in the Lebanon area, um, you know, <laughs> hit Beirut, them up. Beirut, Maybe make seventy a kilometers away from Beirut. Not that far. I wouldn't mind visiting. Get some I'm hummus. I'm do math in my head. Seventy kilometers. It's like thirty miles ish. Forty-two. Maybe in five k's. Yeah, two point one, something like that. Something. Yeah, actually, that's not even them. That's not it's that not far. So wow, I was definitely expecting it to be the opposite. Well, okay. no, it's okay. not far. So I mean, if you find yourself in the Beirut area and you want to take a little road trip, very little road trip, <laughs> go for it. I mean, I would love to visit and have some like really good food and wine and wine. I think and go be- to the castle. I do think that it would I'd be want quite to go an to the castle. And it would be one of those things where once now that we know the story, mm-hmm. that it would be even that much more meaningful to visit. Yeah. And, and sort of be around that. I don't know. I feel Dude, um, the castle's pretty amazing from the pictures at least. I'm gonna have we need we'll post a link in our episode mm-hmm. for sure. And then um, so that everyone can take a peek at that and then yeah. Find it. Drink it. Drink, Drink it. it. Call Drink your it. local wine shops if they don't have it. Uh, Musar June is, they're cheaper, affordable, but very good. It's very good wine. 2014. It, it's it's really good. What's what we're drinking right now. Chateau Musar is their more, uh, like we said, top end wine. Yeah. They've been producing for quite some time. If you can find a bottle, we have a 2009 here that we didn't open today, but we will be opening, and there's also a picture of it on our website. Um, yeah. Good Try stuff. Try some. Guys. Lebanese wine. I'd never thought of it. Lebanese wine. Who knew? I'm always going to be on the lookout. Yeah. But, you know, I think this is the only one that has gained any international right. recognition. It's. I mean, obviously, it's gained not just recognition but i mean notoriety notoriety yeah Yeah. like honor yeah um so and but some of the reason why we haven't heard about other lebanese wines is because they did not where they weren't able to export during all this war that they had yeah some of them just stopped making wine period but it does have a very that that area has a very rich winemaking history. So we'll oh, see if sure. more comes out of there. But for now, we can enjoy some Chateau Moussard. Yay! And Moussard Jun. Man, Sarah, thank you so much for sharing everything that you have pulled up from this I don't winery. even know what I'm saying. It's like, it's so, it's, it's just, it's very deep. You know, I think you said it way earlier on. Like this, it's not just that the wine is deep that you know like just drinking what's in the glass but it's there's much more to the story that goes has oh, yeah. very deep roots just Church like is, just like this and so uh great has yeah. very deep roots in like the dry climate so so many similarities uh, the layers the layers the But this has been wonderful. I truly, this is a treat. I mean, it's something that's so off the beaten path, I think, but mm-hmm. something that 
I think that a lot of people might actually enjoy. And so I would definitely recommend oh, yeah. checking this bad boy out. No, it's good. Especially if you're looking, if you're the kind of wine drinker who's looking to kind of expand your palate. Palette. It really does have a relative, I mean, relatively clean finish. It's not immediate. It does. It's spicy. It's, like, it's a spicy wine. Oh, man. I'm really still digging this. Like, I just want to, like, keep breathing it in. <laughs> We're going to find Jamie in bed I'm with a like, bottle of Moussard. Like smelling, smelling it. <laughs> just bottle of scent up, uh, which is putting it back in the bottle. But anyway. Well, thanks again, Sarah. <laughs> thanks for DVP listeners for, yeah. tra- for uh, tuning in for this episode. We'll be uh, back to some more uh, streamlined wines, I think, next next episode. Yeah. But don't but, you worry. We got you covered. Oh, man. It's so pretty. Okay. Bitches. Bitches, keep drinking. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform to help spread the DBP word. Check out our website and blog at dbpcheers.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at dbpcheers or on the Drunk Bitches Podcast Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. So send your questions, comments, and fun wine or topic ideas to dbpcheers at gmail.com. Until next time, cheers Cheers from from the the girls of DBP. DBP.